Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for being with us today as we continue our current teaching series called Christ the King. And if you're new, this is our study through the wonderful New Testament Gospel of Matthew. Today, we actually begin a mini-series within the book of Matthew on the topic of hypocrisy. Now, I get it. I like to open up the thing with something positive and nice and all this. But, hey, this is where we're at today. We're beginning a mini-series within Matthew's gospel on the topic of hypocrisy. And we're doing it simply because that's what's next. And so we dive into that today. And what an important topic for us to talk about, right? This topic of hypocrisy. It's such an important topic, in case you don't know, because any time... Someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus uh, acts with hypocrisy, and then that hypocrisy is discovered, what does it do? It causes damage to the reputation of Christ, damage to the reputation of the church, and damage to the reputation of those who claim to be followers of Jesus. And we don't want that to happen, but that's exactly what happens when hypocrisy is practiced by Christians. For example, not too long ago, uh, Carl Lentz, one of the most uh, well-known pastors in all of America, Hillsong's most popular pastor, uh, was found to be committing adultery on his wife for quite some time. And after that happened, Discovery Plus decided to make a documentary on Hillsong in general called Hillsong, A Megachurch Exposed. And so now there's all these unbelievers, all, all these people outside the community of faith who are watching this documentary and concluding that Christians are a joke. Christians are just shysters. It's, it's all just for show. And they conclude that because of the hypocrisy. It's because of such hypocrisy that Isaiah says this, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. That's what happens when we practice hypocrisy. Those outside the community of faith look poorly on Christ, on the church, and on those who uh, are called by Christ's name. Now, it's very easy to go ahead and point a finger at someone else. That's not my goal today. Lest we just focus on others, let's personalize this truth that Isaiah talks about. Anytime we practice hypocrisy, it has the same exact effect on the unsaved in our sphere of influence. And it's because so much is at stake when we practice hypocrisy that Jesus goes ahead and addresses this topic in Matthew 6. Here's what he says in verse 1. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And it's not immediately obvious that what Jesus is doing here is addressing the sin of hypocrisy, but that's exactly what he's doing. Hypocrisy is doing what we do to be seen by others. Now, just to be clear, it's not wrong for others to see our acts of religious devotion to God, right? I mean, that's what we learned in Matthew 5. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said this, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. 
So it's not wrong to do our acts of religious devotion uh, before others. It's not wrong for others to see our acts of religious devotion. It's just wrong if we do our acts of devotion in order to be seen by others. It's one thing to do an act of devotion because you love God and want to honor him by obeying one of his commands. It's another thing entirely to do an act of devotion for other people to see and give you praise, all the while pretending that it was an act of devotion intended to honor God. You see, when we put on a show, when we are acting, when we're pretending to do it for one reason, a good reason, when in reality we're just doing it for uh, an ignoble reason, to be seen by others, to be praised by others, friends, we're actors putting on a show. And that's literally the definition of hypocrisy. The word hypocrite originally meant actor, one who puts on a show for others. And when we uh, do things pretending to be doing them for God, when in reality we're doing them just so that others can see us and praise us, we are nothing more than actors putting on a show. So in verse 1, Jesus gives a warning against hypocrisy. And Jesus, knowing his audience intimately, knew that there were three specific areas in which they were practicing their hypocrisy. And here they are. Let me show them to you. This is the overview of the next three weeks. Jesus says, you are practicing hypocrisy in your giving, in your praying, and in your fasting. These were three of the most popular acts of religious devotion that the Jews would do for God, but they weren't doing them for God. They were doing them for others. They were doing them to be seen by others. They were doing them for show. And so Jesus addresses these three areas. And this is what we're covering in this three-week mini-series on hypocrisy. Three weeks from now, we'll cover hypocrisy and fasting. Next week, we're going to cover hypocrisy in praying, but today we're covering hypocrisy hypocrisy in giving. So our text today then is Matthew chapter uh, 6 verses 1 to 4 and our theme this week again hypocrisy in giving. Now we need to understand that Jesus is not talking about giving in general. He's referring here to a very specific kind of giving. Uh, Some call it alms giving. But it's simply giving to help the poor, giving to help the indigent, giving in order to meet the need, whether it's food, clothing, shelter, money, whatever might be needed by someone who is truly poor, that's the kind of giving that Jesus is referring to here. Now, just to be clear, when the Bible refers to those who are poor, uh, God's word is not speaking to those who are poor because they don't want to work. Nor is the Bible speaking to those who are poor because they mismanage their finances. When the Bible speaks of those who are poor, the Bible's referring to people who are poor because of exploitation or because of a physical or mental disability or those who are poor because they're victims of famine or natural disaster or war or those who are poor because they're suffering intense religious persecution or those who are poor because they have no one to care for them because they're either too young or too old to care for themselves. Friends, these people, the truly poor, they are near and dear to God's heart, which is why God gave legislation to the nation of Israel to ensure that those who were truly in need would be cared for. For example, 
According to Deuteronomy chapter 14, every third year, the Israelites were to give a special tithe for the poor so that the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow might have food to eat and stay alive. Concerning the poor, God commanded this in Deuteronomy 15. God told Israel, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them, towards the poor. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly. And finally, God instructed this in Deuteronomy chapter 24. God said, when you're harvesting your crops and forget to bring in a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. Likewise, when you beat the olives from your olive trees, don't go over the boughs twice. Leave the remaining olives for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. And when you gather the grapes in your vineyard, don't glean the vines after they are picked. Leave the remaining grapes for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. Now, friends, it was because of such legislation that by the time of Christ, there was this healthy culture in Israel of giving to meet the needs of the poor. This is something that everybody did. Hence, Jesus says, when you give to the needy, not if you give to the needy. God had commanded it, so it's what the people did. And they had that going for them. I mean, they obeyed God's command to help the poor. So there was nothing wrong that they were helping the poor. The problem was they were doing the right thing in the wrong way and for all the wrong reasons. Right along with the healthy culture of giving to the poor came an unhealthy culture of giving in an ostentatious manner. They were giving in a showy way, giving to draw attention to themselves. They didn't do it because they loved God. They couldn't care less about the poor. What they loved was not God, not the poor. What they loved was the praise that came their way when they went ahead and gave to the poor. So you see, it was a show, or to use a Bible word, it was hypocrisy. They were doing it for the praise of men, all the while pretending to be motivated by love for God and love for the poor. So Jesus addresses their hypocrisy in verses 2 to 4. A little overview of where we're going. Jesus is going to begin with, here's the wrong way to give. And then he's going to switch gears and say, here's the right way to give. And he's going to show us what reward comes to us when we give the wrong way, as well as what reward comes to us when we give the right way. Let's jump in. If you're taking notes, the first thing Jesus teaches us is the wrong manner for giving. And we see this in the first part of verse 2 where Jesus says this, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Now, friends, to sound the proverbial trumpet, to toot your own horn, that just means to give in a way where you draw attention to yourself. It's like this. I was recently at Costco, and they were raising money for some charitable cause. And I've been in many, many, many lines before where the cashier is asking, would you like to donate to such and such a cause? And what you normally hear is this, one no thank you after another. But this day was different. The managers had given out cowbells to every cashier so that when a gift was given, they could call out the amount and go, ding-a-ding-a-ding-a-ding-a-ding, we have a donation. 
and then the person would be recognized. Well, guess what? You're not going to be surprised to hear there were cowbells going off left and right. People often don't want to give when there's no recognition. When there is, they're like, sign me up. So many of you have recommended the TV series The Chosen to me, and, uh, and so I finally decided to go ahead and begin watching it, I think just yesterday or the day before. Well, someone no sooner recommended it to me than they told me that in order to raise the money for this crowdfunded TV series, they went ahead and said, if you give, we'll put your name in the credits. Now, I'm not speaking to if it's right or wrong or this or that. That's for God to judge. What I am saying is this. Isn't it sad that so often we won't give unless we're recognized? But that's the culture we live in. So you see, friends, Jesus' words to his audience are the same words that you and I need to hear today. Jesus says, don't give in a way where you're drawing attention to yourself. Now, the most popular place to sound the proverbial trumpet in our culture, the most popular place to toot your own horn nowadays, it's on social media, right? Nobody does anything without posting it to social media. On YouTube, for example, this is something that always pops up in my feed. I don't know why, but it's just always popping up in my feed, little captions like this. I gave this much to a homeless person. Then they've got a picture of the giver and a picture of the receiver. And it's like, oh, isn't that nice that they do it out of the kindness of their heart? Are they really doing it out of the kindness of their heart if they have to go ahead and post about it to tell the whole world what they've done? Friends, post like this. That is the modern day equivalent of sounding the trumpet. It's giving in a way where you draw attention to yourself. And Jesus says, if you give in a way where you draw attention to what you're doing, you are giving in the wrong manner. There's a right way to give and a wrong way to give. The wrong way to give is in a way that draws attention to yourself. Having covered the wrong way in which to give, Jesus now moves secondly, if you're taking notes, to talk about the wrong motive for giving. The wrong motive for giving. And we see this in the second part of verse 2, where Jesus says that the real motive for sounding the trumpet, the real motive for people drawing attention to themselves, whether they realize it or not, is that they may be praised by others. Jesus goes ahead and says that the hypocrite only is interested in giving if it's on a crowded street corner or if it's in a bustling synagogue. Do you guys remember the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan? The parable of the Good Samaritan? Let me read you just the first part. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and then departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that lonely road. And when he saw the man, the man who was half dead, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the half dead man, he also passed by on the other side. Now, friends, the priest and the Levite, these were the paragons of spirituality throughout Israel. They were the example to follow. They were supposed to be the godliest, kindest, uh, you know, most godlike people, you know, on, on the earth in the land of Israel. So Jesus here is referring to two groups of people who should have wanted to give to help someone truly in need. But what happened? They were on a lonely road. So there was no audience to perform for. 
And with no audience to perform for, they said, well, what's the point of giving? Why give him the medical treatment he needs? Why give him a place to convalesce? Why give him money so he can eat and have shelter um, until his body heals and he's able to go ahead and, and work to provide for his own needs? Why give to him in this way when no one's watching? You see, they didn't love God and they didn't care a lick for the poor. What they cared about was the praise of men. So when they saw someone in need out in some lonely place where there was no audience, they just marched right on by. Now, had that same man been beaten half to death and then laid on a busy street corner or been laid in a bustling synagogue, the religious leaders would have been fighting with each other to be the one who got to do the giving because that's where a large audience was. That's where they could be praised by others. So friends, do you see what Jesus is getting at? He's talking about the motive with which we give. If it's to honor God and to show our love for him by practically loving someone who's poor, then we'll do it when we're all alone. We'll do it when no one's watching. But if we only want to give when we can be recognized, we've got to go ahead and do a motive check. So Jesus has covered the wrong manner in which to give. He's covered the wrong motive with which to give. And now he goes ahead and he points out the reward that comes to us when we give in the wrong way. And here's what Jesus says. When you give like this in the wrong way, you get rewarded by man. By man. And Jesus is saying by man versus by God. And we see this in the last part of verse 2 where Jesus says of those who give in the wrong way, they have received all the reward they will ever get. When we give in the wrong way and when we give in the wrong, uh, with the wrong motive, we get rewarded. It's just not by God. We get rewarded by man. They see what we do and they go like this and that's all the reward we get. But God doesn't reward us in any way when we give in the wrong way. So friends, to start, Jesus covers the wrong way to give. And now that he's covered the wrong way to give, what do you think he's going to cover next? The right, the right way to give. And so that's what we get into now. First, Jesus says this. Let me talk to you about the right manner for giving. And we see this in verse 3, where Jesus says, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, friends, this is not to be taken literally. That would be impossible. Jesus is speaking figuratively. He's speaking uh, in hyperbole. He's making an exaggerated statement in order to make a point. Remember just a few verses ago in Matthew 5? He said, hey, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He was speaking in hyperbole there too. And continuing with these tongue-in-cheek comments, Jesus says, when you give, don't even uh, let your uh, left hand know what your right hand is doing. And in saying that, all he's saying is, don't give in a way where other people know what you're doing. Give so discreetly that when you give, your one hand doesn't even know what the other hand's doing. He's just saying, give discreetly. When I think of someone who uh, gives discreetly, I think of an unknown man or woman who recently made a donation to Hume Camp. 
That's the camp we send our teens to a couple different times a year, including the upcoming summer camp. I was notified via email that some anonymous donor gave a large gift to Camp Hume so that if you are a pastor and you have teen children going to the camp, you could go at like a 90% discount this summer. And it's not just for people at New Day. This is like for pastor, any pastor's kid who's going to this camp this summer. And I was like, wow, that's amazing because the camp's wonderful, but it ain't cheap. Let me tell you, it's worth it, but it ain't cheap. But as much as I was blown away that someone would give uh, such a large gift, I was even more blown away at the anonymity in which the giver gave. Because nowadays, I mean, when you give, you post it to social media. You don't just have some representative just anonymously inform the people who will benefit from your giving. But this person was giving in the right manner, in the way that Jesus said to give, in a way where you don't draw attention to yourself. I love it. But Jesus doesn't just talk about the right manner in which to give. Secondly, here's your next fill in the blank. Jesus also teaches us the right motive for giving. He talked about the wrong motive for giving. Now he talks about the right motive for giving. You see, we can't just give in the right way. We also have to give for the right reason. And that's what Jesus is speaking to in the first part of verse 4, where he says this, you shouldn't draw attention to yourself when ministering to the poor so that your giving may be in secret. In other words, give it away where only God sees. That's what's meant by give in secret. Because friends, nothing is secret from God, right? So to give in secret means to give in a way, uh, and give for the purpose where God will see what you've done, not other people. You see, we can give with the motive of impressing others or impressing God. We can give with the motive of being praised by people or being praised by God. We can give uh, to bolster our reputation in the sight of others or because we love God and want to express our love to God by obeying his command to help those in need. And Jesus is saying, when you give to the poor to honor God, instead of for the purpose of having other people honor you, you're giving with the right motive. And as he did before, Jesus is now going to talk to us about the reward that comes to those who give the right way. He told us the reward that comes to those who give the wrong way. Now he shares the reward that comes to those who give the right way. And Jesus says this, when you give like this the right way, you get rewarded. Say it out loud. By God. And he's saying, by God, instead of by man. And we see this in the last part of verse 4, where Jesus says, when you give in the right way, your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Now, when we give to the poor, we should do it just because we love God and want to obey his command and want to help people in need. But God says, when you give in this right way, I am going to go ahead and bless you with a reward. Now, a lot of people are wondering, how specifically does God reward us? Some might wonder, um, I'm, uh, I'm wanting to have children, uh, but so far we can't. If I give, will God reward me with a child? 
Others are wondering, if I give to someone else financially, will God give to me financially and go ahead and and bless me monetarily? And believe me, there's so many uh, heretical prosperity preachers who say, give and God will give to you. Amen. Hallelujah. It's a bunch of garbage is what that is. Some wonder, if I give, how will God bless me? If I'm single, will God go ahead and help me to meet Mr. or Mrs. Right? What is the reward? How does God bless us and reward us when we give to help those in need? Well, friends, God doesn't give some puny temporal reward. I mean, if he did, it would only be on par with the applause of man, which is there for one second and then God. No, God doesn't give us some some puny temporal reward. The reward that God gives is so much greater than that. It's not a temporal reward. It's an eternal reward. And we know this from Matthew 5. Take a look. So here's the teaching that counters the heretical teaching of the prosperity preachers. Jesus says this, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward on earth. Is that what it says on earth? No, he says great is your reward. Say it out loud. In heaven, in heaven, in heaven. And friends, we should be thankful for that, not disappointed. Anything we get on earth is temporary. Anything we're given to enjoy in heaven is eternal. So what a blessing we receive. So friends, never be upset that the reward isn't temporal. Never be upset. As Jesus says in Matthew 5, 12, he says, rejoice and be glad. Because the eternal reward is always better than some temporal one. So friends, to bring this teaching all together... God cared about and continues to care about the poor. And because he cares for the poor, he gave legislation to the nation of Israel to care for the poor. And that's the very thing they did. But what started pure quickly became corrupt. They were doing the right thing, giving the needed aid to the poor. But they were doing the right thing in the wrong way and for all the wrong reasons. And friends, that's the very definition of hypocrisy. They were doing it for show. They were doing it so others would clap their hands at them, not to honor God. And friends, that's hypocrisy. And by being hypocritical in their giving, they were making their faith repugnant to their fellow Jews and certainly to their pagan Roman occupiers and to any other Gentiles, any other people outside the Jewish faith. They were causing the name of God to be reproached among the Gentiles because that's what hypocrisy does. No matter where we practice it, in our fasting, in our praying, in our giving, or, or in any other way, it causes the reputation of Christ and the church and of Christians to be damaged. And this robbed them of any reward from God because God does not reward hypocrisy. So friends, that's the teaching, and now we have to turn our attention to what this teaching means for you and I who live today. And by way of application, I want to give you just three simple things. This is the right way, from my perspective, on how we ought to respond to Jesus' teaching. Number one is this, remember the mandate. Remember the mandate. Friends, like Old Testament Israel, the New Testament church is to care for the poor. 
God's concern and care for the poor has not abated with time, nor have governmental programs such as social security and welfare abrogated our responsibility as believers to help those who are truly needy. So how do we do this responsibly? I'm just going to give you several suggestions to help get your mind thinking in the right direction. But my first suggestion is this, uh, tithe. Start if you're not, continue if you already are. But when you give to New Day Church, when you give to God through New Day Church is how I should state it more accurately, we go ahead and we take 10% of what you give and we use it to help those who are truly in need. And we screen everyone we give to to make sure they're truly in need. What do we do? Who do we help? Let me give you some examples. We support the Springfield Rescue Mission, a local ministry for homeless men. We support Christina's House, a local ministry for homeless women. We support Between Bridges, a local ministry that helps both men and women. We support Hope for Kids, a local ministry to help needy children. We support Amira, a local ministry helping survivors of sexual exploitation. We support the Chalmers Center that Andrew pointed out to you in our offering video today, which exists to help the poor. We support Convoy of Hope, a ministry dedicated to helping uh, people who are victims of natural disaster. We support Project Rescue to help women and children uh, of sex trafficking. And we support Open Doors to help persecuted Christians around the world. And this is just a sampling of what we do with what you give. So the first suggestion I have to go ahead and get you thinking in the right way is uh, start tithing. Or continue to tithe if you already do. Because when that money comes in, we take a percentage of it and we give to help those in the world who are truly in need. Friends, I'm just going to be honest with you. You don't know the state of that person under that bridge or at that stoplight who's asking you for money. And you could, I'm not saying you always are, but you could just go ahead and be a bad steward of what God's blessed you with. When we give, we have a responsibility to make sure it's going to truly help someone in need. And there's a way in which we can help that actually hurts, but as a church, we screen those we give to to be sure that what we give goes to help someone truly in need. Now, if you want to do more than this, if you want to do more than just give your tithe, I want you to know that you can give a gift above and beyond the tithe designated to our Benevolence Fund. Open up the Church Center app, click on the giving tab, enter your amount, bada bing, bada boom. Just make sure you choose the Benevolence Fund to give to, but it could not be more simple. Whereas our Missions Fund helps needy people outside of our church... Our benevolence fund helps people who are truly needy within our church. With this money given to benevolence, we come to the aid of people in our church who have suddenly lost their job and find themselves in financial straits. We come to the aid of people who suddenly lose their home. We come to the aid of single mothers. We come to the aid of those drowning in medical bills or maybe some other kind of debt. We come to the aid of the widow burdened by her husband's funeral and on and on and on the list goes. With our missions money, we give to help the needy outside the church. With our benevolence money, we give to help the needy inside the church. But friends, when you give, we help those who are needy. So, so, so give. And don't ever forget that you don't have to do it through the church, okay? 
as God directs you, as the Holy Spirit prompts you, and as you are able uh, within your sphere of influence to identify a genuine need. Not someone who needs help because they don't want to work. Not someone who needs help because they've mismanaged their finances, but someone truly in need. Go ahead, see a need, and meet it on Christ's behalf and for his glory. Just remember this. When you do that on a personal level, you've got to make sure you do it in the manner and with the motive that we've learned about today. However you do it, my point is this, remember the mandate. Sometimes we walk away from a message like this going, oh, okay, uh, the takeaway is this, just give in the right way and give with the right motive. And then we continue our non-giving. Friends, remember the mandate. It's our responsibility as Christians, not the government's job, our responsibility as Christians to meet the needs of the poor, to meet the needs of those truly in need. So number one, remember the mandate. All right, now, number two, remember the manner, not just the mandate, but remember the manner. How you give is just as important that you give. Now, what's great about giving through the church is that you're covered, okay? Your giving is private. You do it online or through the church center app, and there's no crowd to applause. So, so you are covered in terms of the manner. You're not doing it in a way that, that causes uh, attention to be drawn uh, to yourself. But if you do go ahead and help someone individually, apart from helping them through the church, you'll just have to go ahead and figure out how to do it in a way that doesn't draw attention to yourself. And this is certainly possible. I remember the first year of the church, I mean, we had 20 people total average attendance, and I'm pretty sure that was, you know, counting a couple people twice, including, you know, counting someone's dog and their cat and, you know, whatever. But we had 20 people total attendance our first year, and we were just struggling. And I just remember someone in the church, someone connected to the church, uh, you know, just, just gave this anonymous gift of $10,000. We saw the amount, but we did not see the giver. And it was just this anonymous way. I just want to help. I don't want to be recognized. I don't want to be seen. I just want to help. Remember, not just the mandate, remember the manner. There's a right way to give. There's a wrong way to give. Third and finally, remember the motive. Giving's kind of hard, isn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. It's not enough to give. It's not enough to give in the right manner. We must also give with the right motive if it's to be God-honoring giving. But friends, that's what we're called to do. We're called to give because we love God and want to show our love for God in a practical way by honoring his numerous commands to minister to people who are truly in need. It's not the government's job. It's not our neighbor's job. It's our job to help when we see genuine need. Now, when we do these things, when we remember the mandate and the manner and the motive, the poor are blessed and so are we. Friends, when we give in the right way without hypocrisy, far from damaging the reputation of Christ the church and those who call themselves by Christ's name, we bolster the reputation of Christ. We bolster the reputation of the church. We bolster the reputation of other believers. And when we give without hypocrisy, far from causing God's name to be blasphemed by those outside the faith, outside the faith, we cause God's name to be honored by those outside the faith. It's like Jesus said in Matthew 5:16. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and give praise to your Father who is in heaven. 
we've got to go ahead and step up to the plate and, and just avoid practicing hypocrisy because of what's at stake. We want to avoid it in our fasting. We'll talk about that three weeks from now. We want to avoid hypocrisy in our praying. We're going to talk about that next week. But as we've learned today, we also want to avoid it in our giving. Because when we give with hypocrisy, it turns people off to the faith. And the sole reason that we're here on earth is to glorify God by bringing people into the faith. So friends, let's close by asking for God's help in avoiding hypocrisy, specifically today in this area of giving. Would you pray with me? Those of you online, would you bow your head? Those of you here in person, would you bow your head? Let's go to God in prayer. Not out loud, but in your heart, maybe you'd say something along these lines to God. Say, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this teaching. Thanks for showing me the importance of avoiding hypocrisy. God, you've left me here on earth to turn people onto the faith. The last thing I want to do is turn them off through my hypocrisy. Oh, it's easy to point a finger at Carl Lentz or whoever else, Ravi Zacharias, or any of these other names of people uh, who have practiced hypocrisy and dishonored your name. But God, my attention today is not on them. Why look at the speck of dust in their eye when there's a plank in my own? God, my focus today is on me. I don't want to practice hypocrisy. I don't want to turn off those in my sphere of influence from the Christian faith. I want to bolster the reputation of Christ. I want to bolster the reputation of the church. I want to bolster the reputation of Christians across the country and around the globe. But God, it's hard. So God, I ask for your help. Help me to give in the right way. Help me to give for the right reasons. Because I love you. And I want to be a blessing to those you care about so deeply, the poor. Help me with this, God. It's tough. But I know that all things are possible with God. I pray for your help. And I ask in Jesus' name, God, help me to avoid hypocrisy in giving. Amen. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. If you've been blessed by what you heard, you can give a one-time or reoccurring gift at newdaychurch.cc forward slash giving or text any amount on your smartphone right now to 84321. We would love to connect with you even more. So be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you and we hope to see you again soon.